Hello everyone and welcome to our time together in the Word of God today. I want us to focus our attention on a passage of scripture from the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, the verse I really want to focus our uh, minds upon is found in verse 18. But let's read from verse 17 just to get a little bit of a run-in to that particular verse. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And verse 17, and the scriptures say this, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? And then I want us to be able to focus on uh, the importance of beholding the Lord's face, the importance of beholding his face. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the glory of your word. We thank you for that your word is living. We thank you that it's truth. And Lord, we want to pray that during this time you would get our attention and grant us to have our gaze fixed upon you. We pray that, Lord, you would be the centre of all we think upon as we focus on your word. We pray that, Lord, our eyes would be upon you. We ask, Lord, for there to be an anointing upon the speaking of your word and the hearing of your word. We pray that, Lord, you would meet with us, you would touch our hearts, you would open our eyes, you would unblock our ears, you would deliver us from deception, you would bring us into a greater awareness of yourself, you would grant us, Lord, even something of an open heaven today. We pray that we may see something of the Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, open our ears, let us see you. Grant us to behold something of your beauty and your radiance. We ask that, Lord God, your anointing would be with us for this time. And that, Lord, the word would be heard and mixed with faith. And we pray that you would grant us, Lord, to respond in the way that you would have us respond to this message. We look to you for the enabling for everything, for the speaking, for the hearing and the responding. And we ask that in everything you may get all the praise and all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The importance of beholding his face. You know, dear brothers and sisters, we live in a day, don't we, where there are so many distractions. There are so many things seeking to gain our attention and draw us away from the presence of God. Certainly the enemy wants to distract us away from focusing our minds, our hearts, everything of our, um, our lives upon the Lord Jesus. And the world would do the same thing. 
even our flesh. There are distractions on every level. But you and I need to learn to come through to that place where we seek God that we may know what it is to behold his beauty and to, to have a revelation of something of his form, to see something of his majesty. One of the crying needs of our day is a people that has a revelation of who the living God really is. And so many of our problems arise out of the fact that we have a distorted view of who the Lord is. We need to have a view of God that is biblical, that is the result of the Spirit opening the Word to us. And praise God, this is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to open our eyes and reveal more of the beauty and the radiance and the glory of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Dear friends, this is the privilege of every true child of God, born again of the Spirit of God. We've been given a great privilege. Our eyes have been opened unto us seeing, unto us beholding, unto us coming in to, to more of an understanding of the God that we worship and that we serve. The Lord Jesus, through the work of Calvary, has made a way. We have a new and living way to come into the presence of God. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. And now we can come in to the very presence of God. And we can behold something of his beauty continually. And the Lord wants us to be those that know him. Those that experience his presence and know his nearness. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be those that are taken up with who he is that are totally um, set apart for himself, looking unto him, wanting to see more of him. Well, may we be those type of people, brothers and sisters. We need to be those that fix our gaze on him, don't we? As the song goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then the second verse goes on to say, and keep your eyes upon Jesus. Let nobody else take his place, so that hour by hour you may know his power until you have run the great race. Much of our loss of strength comes when we take our eyes off the Lord. Our problems, our difficulties seem to be magnified when we get our eyes off the Lord. Like Peter in the storm. Do you remember when he walked on the water? As long as his eyes were on the Lord. Well, he was able to go through that storm without any problem at all. He was in the storm, but he was able to stand in it as it were. But the moment his eyes came on everything round about him, he began to sink and lose his footing. And so often our problem lies in the fact our eyes are not on the Lord. And we're not keeping our focus on him. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has brought us into a relationship with God whereby we have the liberty, by means of the Spirit of God, of beholding the beauty of the Lord. And I want us to just focus together for a time this morning on this marvellous passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 3 that encourages us to lift our gaze upward, to see the, something of the glory of the Lord. And indeed, the glory of beholding the Lord. The Lord wants us to look away from ourselves and unto Him. Do you remember what it says in the psalm, Psalm 34? They looked to Him and were radiant. 
brothers and sisters. The Lord wants us to be a radiant people. He wants us to be a people that reflect something of his glory unto his praise and uh, to a testimony of the living reality and brightness of the Son of God. So with that in mind, let's have a little look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And before we look at verse 18, I just want to consider something, something of the verses that are previous to it to give us context as to what Paul has been speaking about. Going back a little bit, um, Paul says earlier on, um, going back to verse uh, 3, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart, and such trust we have through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. It's good for us to remember this. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The letter, of course, the, 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 the commandments of God were written in stone. And there's nothing wrong, of course, with the commandments of God. They're given of God. It's not as though um, the Word of God is now consigned to the past because we have the Spirit. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying in this particular verse is that we couldn't fulfill the law of ourselves. It was written on stone. And when we consider the commandments of God, we just cannot keep up with the commandments required of us, and it rightly um, condemned uh, our own souls. We were dead, uh, unable to respond to such a message. But then um, we go on to read in this particular verse that the Spirit gives life. In other words, what Paul is saying is the Spirit enables us to uh, walk in the ways of God and to obey the commandments of God. The Lord killed it couldn't by any means enable me to do what it was requiring me to do. But the Spirit enables me to do what the Lord requires of me through the law, as it were. Now, this is something that Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 7 and verse 5 and 6. I'll just quickly read that to you. Romans chapter 7 and verse 5 and 6. He says this, For when we were in the flesh... The motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. So our service is in the power of the newness, the enabling of the Spirit of God. There is a kind of understanding, I think, in some people's hearts today that now that we've got the Spirit, we don't need the Word anymore. That's not what Paul's saying. The Spirit of God brings us to the Word. And if the Spirit of God is working in your life, you will have a desire to be into the Word of God. Not that we can keep the 613 laws mentioned in the Pentateuch, but so that we can live the life that God wants us to live, that life of conformity to Christ, and of course obeying the Scriptures. Well, very well. Let's continue to look a little bit further on in what Paul is saying in this passage 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. After mentioning this, we go on to read in verse 7 to 11, Paul speaking about the fact that the new ministration in uh, uh, the Lord Jesus is greater than the old ministration under Moses. Under Moses, things were temporal. Things lasted for a while. There was glory for a while, but it didn't last. But in this new covenant, in the Lord Jesus, uh, the glory is eternal. And Paul speaks of something of these things during these particular verses. He says, for example, in verse 11, For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Wonderful verse. We come into something eternal, dear friends, in the new covenant. This should rejoice our hearts and make us glad. What the Lord has done for us is amazing, isn't it? And then we go on to read uh, in verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Bearing in mind that we've just mentioned that verses 7 to 11 speak to us of the superiority of the new ministration um, in relation to the old. The fact that the new is eternal continues, the glory continues as the old fades away. Well, in this particular verse 13, we have this um, reference that Paul brings to us from the uh, Exodus chapter 34, which speaks about where Moses put a veil over his face. And he, in this particular verse, it speaks about that he put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel would, could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, when you look back at Exodus chapter 34, you get that sense that the reason that Moses put the veil over his face after he came down from the mountain with the commandments of God was because of the bright shining of the glory of the Lord upon his face. That actually the reason the veil was put over his face was simply because of the brightness of the glory. And although there's something of truth, of course, in that, the fact is Paul gives us some definition to what that, what that passage really speaks of here. He's saying in, in verse 13, that the veil was put over Moses' face, not only to hide something of the brightness of the glory, but the fact that that glory was fading away. And so that the fact that the glory was fading away was hidden from the Israelites. They simply perceived that the glory of that ministration of the law continually was shining upon Moses' face when it wasn't. And so the veil concealed from the Israelites the fading nature of that first covenant. And he goes on to say in, this, in the next verse, but their minds were blinded. And their minds were blinded to the fact that the glory was fading away. It was coming to an end. And of course we know that the end of the law, we find the Lord Jesus. And, uh, but all of that was concealed and hidden from the Israelites. And even something of the nature of the glory of the Lord was hidden from them. But particularly this fact that the glory was fading. They were blinded to the fact that the glory was fading away. And then we go on to read in verse 15. This, uh, sorry, verse 14. 
it says this, For until this day remaineth the same vow untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which vow is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the vow is upon their hearts. The very veil that was over Moses' face, as it were, went over the hearts of the Jewish people. So that they continually go back to Moses um, and they continually focus on that old covenant because they're blinded to the fact that the glory of the old covenant was a fading glory. It was hidden from them and so the veil went over their hearts concerning the truth of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, when he came. But then we go on to read in verse 16, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And Paul, of course, himself was testimony to this fact. He was somebody who was blinded. He was somebody who was looking unto the old ministration for everything. He was considering Moses and the law as his particular religion, as it were, and that everything toward God was found there. But his eyes were opened on the road to Damascus and that veil that was on his heart was taken away and he saw the Lord Jesus and he was brought into this new covenant and the revelation, of course, that the glory with the Lord Jesus never fades away. With Moses, the glory faded away, but with the Lord Jesus, the glory never fades away. Hallelujah. And uh, Paul was one of those who could bear testimony to the things he wrote that actually he was a man who knew that veil taken from him. And you know, dear brothers and sisters, concerning the Jewish people, there will come a day when, praise God, the veil will be lifted from them and they will see their Messiah. They will have eyes to see and they will have the revelation of who he is. What a day that will be. For God has not finished with the Jewish people, that is for sure. But we know in a sense of blindness has come upon them in part so that us as Gentiles could come in to this glorious covenant that we're now considering in this particular passage. Well, let's continue with these verses, shall we? It goes on to say, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, where the Spirit is, there is true liberty. There is true um, freedom. You know, the Spirit brings us into wonderful liberty, doesn't he? In the Lord. And that liberty isn't uh, speaking of a liberty to sin. It's speaking about a liberty to come into the very presence of God with an unveiled face. Like Moses, he went into the very presence of God and when he went into the presence of God, he was able to lift that veil from his face. And just so we, you and I, born again of the Spirit, can come into the presence of God and know the liberty that comes by the Spirit of knowing a relationship with God that's living, that's true, that um, is full of everything good and of life. The Spirit Oh, praise God for the work of the Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. He is the one who brings us into everything that is good. Praise the Lord, there is liberty where He is. And we go on to read in verse 18, But we all, 
with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Notice that phrase that Paul uses at the beginning there of verse 18. But we all, we all with unveiled face. That's what it means when it says open face, with unveiled face. In other words, dear friends, it's not just the Jewish people that have a veil, as it were, over their hearts before they come to the revelation of the Lord Jesus as Messiah. Each one of us, before we came to Christ, had our own veils. We had our own different areas of deception that we were in. We were blinded to the reality of the Lord Jesus. We didn't know the liberty of the Spirit because we were bound in all our kinds of superstitious practices or whatever we were into. We were bound, we had veils over our hearts. There was darkness. When you've got a veil over something, you can't see. There's a blindness that comes in. And then Paul speaks about the fact that we have open face. This is a wonderful way of describing what happens to us when we're born again of the Spirit of God. A veil is lifted. There's a seeing. But it also shows us, dear friends, concerning this matter of salvation, that you, you and I, we can't just simply argue people into the kingdom of God. We can, we can say all kinds of scriptures, we can tell people the truth of the gospel, we can bring apologetics into things, all well and good. But I want to tell you this, the only way that people are going to get saved is if God does the saving. Because it's a spiritual matter, this matter of new birth. And really, it, this verse shows us the spiritual nature of salvation, of being born again, and that if people are going to be born again, it's not just by arguing with them about the truths of the gospel, but it's about us getting on our knees and praying to God that he would open people's eyes to the nature of their sin and lift the deceptive veil that's over their hearts. This is why we need to pray, friends. This is one of the reasons we need to continually be those that are calling on the name of the Lord to deliver people from the darkness that they're in. Deception isn't lifted just by giving a good argument to somebody. Only God can deal with our hearts. In fact, the enemy has got a hold on people's lives before they come to Christ. Their minds have been darkened. Paul goes on to speak about this in chapter 4. And verse um, 4, he says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. There's a blinding, there's a not seeing. There's a, there's a sense in which they cannot possibly perceive any kind of truth because they're in darkness when you're in darkness you just can't see but we need to cry unto God who brings salvation to release people from the darkness that they're in that's why it goes on to say in verse 6 of chapter 4 concerning those who have been born again of the spirit for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Lord has commanded light to shine actually in our hearts. It's as though when we're born again of the Spirit, God says, let there be light. 
and he pierces the darkness and he lifts the veil and he brings us into the revelation that the Lord Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a spiritual matter, friends. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Only he can do it. But let us call on his name and with our prayer, witness, bring the gospel, share with people the truths of the gospel. But let's, with our witnessing, trust the Lord to do the work and not to try and coerce people by means of pressuring in a sort of fleshly way them into the kingdom of God. Let's trust in God. Is not the Spirit able to do great things? Is he not able to reach people? He can bring conviction of sin, can he not? Of course he can. Let us look to God in our witnessing and proclaiming the gospel. Trust the Lord that by his spirit he will reach those that we speak to and have prayed for previous to our witness. May God help us. But coming back to this particular um, verse 18. Let's consider it a little more closely now, shall we? But we all with unveiled, open face, beholding as in a glass... The glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Now notice with this particular verse, there is a beholding. We have been given this this lifting of the veil to behold something of the Lord. And it's as we behold him that we are transformed. It's as we see something of the Lord that we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Such emphasis, therefore, should be placed within our preaching on the importance of us beholding the Lord so that we might be changed. We need to be those that are into the word of God, don't we, brothers and sisters? Those who meditate on the scriptures, not simply to gain information about doctrine, but unto us seeing him, unto us knowing him, unto us loving him. When you open the word, do you ask the Lord to reveal something more of himself to you? He is the word of God. He is to be our bread. Let us Feed on the word unto us seeing the word, seeing more of Christ, having our eyes opened, that we might be transformed. There's little transformation where there's little seeing. There's little change where there's little meditation upon the Lord. Unless we are truly beholding the Lord, we won't come into much change in our lives. People become like the ones they behold. Haven't you noticed that when people, for example, uh, idolise a certain pop singer, or they idolise a football player, or some other personality, you find that actually they end up somehow looking like them, because their thoughts are all about that person and their image and everything that accompanies them. You suddenly find that you're interested in what they're interested in, and you wear the clothes that they wear. This is what happens to people when they idolise certain celebrities. Oh, God forbid that we get into such things. And get us away from those kinds of activities. But let our meditation be upon the Lord. 
and you know that meditation is not emptying your mind as in Eastern mysticism and religion. Meditation as far as scripturally is concerned is filling your mind with the word of God and ask the Lord that by his spirit he would reveal more of the beauty and the glory and the nature of the Lord Jesus. It's God's desire that you and I are changed. And this is what this verse speaks about. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass or as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. In the day that Paul was writing, the mirrors were not clear as they are today. But they were by means of certain metals and they had these sort of mirrors that they could see something of their faces in. But it wasn't very clear. But we have this unveiling of something of the Lord and we can perceive something of his glory. But it won't be till we get to heaven itself that we will finally see the Lord in all his beauty and his majesty. Thank God for that. But the Lord wants us yet to know more and more of an unveiling of who he is. He wants to reveal himself to us. Do we want to spend time in his presence is the key. And you know here it says about beholding. It's not just about a little glance. There's a beholding here that Paul is speaking about. Are you and I those that come into the presence of God and as it were take a glance at him and then go out the door as soon as possible as it were, finish our times as soon as possible? Or are we those that want to get before the Lord, shut the door of our bedroom, get on our knees and worship the Lord and behold something of his majesty and let the time go by as it will, but let us know something of the presence of God. Is that the heart we have, friends? Or are we those who are happy with passing moments, just in and out of the presence of God, as it were? Or do we want to see something of his majesty? Oh, what a difference there is. What a mark upon the children of God there is. What a radiance there is upon the children of God that set themselves to be in the presence of God and to delight themselves in his beauty and in his majesty. Here it says that we are changed into the same image into the same image that word image is used in the book of 2 Corinthians beg your pardon in the book of Romans chapter um, 8 Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 just want to read some of these scriptures to you Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 it says for whom he for whom he did foreknow he also predestinate uh, to be conformed to the image of the, his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And notice what he goes on to say in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. From one degree of glory to another, till finally we're in glory with the Lord. But notice, going back to verse 29, why did the Lord predestinate us? What is his purpose? What is his desire? It's to conform us to the image of his Son. That is his desire, that we be changed, that we become just like the Lord in the way we live, in the way we are. Now, this side of heaven, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall at times. There'll be times when we sin, sadly. 
but this should be ever decreasing in our lives. There should be an ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. And sanctification isn't found, dear friends, by us looking inward on ourselves, by us simply um, look, having a morbid, introspective look upon ourselves. We are not going to be changed by looking inwardly, by striving according to our own efforts to become like Jesus. We become like the Lord by looking away from ourselves and look at the glory of the Lord. And that's how we get changed into his likeness. That's the means. But notice again, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're changed um, into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, it's the Spirit of God that does the work of changing our lives. He's the one that wants to get us to be thinking and meditating and focusing on the Lord Jesus. And as he enables us to focus on him, he does the work in us of transforming us. All we need to do is get our gaze on the Lord, meditate on him, and then his spirit does the work, his spirit does the change in us. We cannot change ourselves. It's only by his grace and by his spirit that we are changed from one degree of glory to another. But as we look away to the Lord, the Spirit works within us and begins to change us and and, uh, transform our lives from one degree of glory to another. Amazing. Oh, friends, what a need there is for us to be focusing our meditation upon the Lord. You know, the psalmist David had this very same desire that Paul is speaking of here in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 3 and verse 18. Turn with me please to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And let's read from verse 4. Psalm 27 and verse 4. Now David, remember, before we do, David, before we look at this verse, let me just mention that David was a man after God's heart. The Lord loved David. And I think something of the secret of David coming through with the Lord, being that man of God that the Lord was seeking for him to be, is found in this particular verse. Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Notice again, not just for a moment, not just for a moment, but all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David, notice he says, I have desired of the Lord. It's his, his desiring of the Lord, that the Lord would enable him to dwell in the house of God all the days of his life. This is the desire of David's heart. And he's seeking after the Lord. And he's saying, this is the one thing that I've desired of the Lord. I imagine David had many desires. There are many things on his heart at different points in his walk with God and in his, in his, his being king of, of, of the people of Israel. There would have been many desires on his heart. But he's saying, he's testifying here that the one desire that is seeking the Lord, that he's going to continually go after, is this. 
that he might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And what does he want to do there? The first thing he wants to do is to behold the beauty of the Lord. And then secondly, inquire in his temple. Don't you think it's lovely that David's heart desired firstly to dwell in the presence of God and to rather to behold his beauty before he inquired in his temple. Many of us, we want to come into the presence of God because we simply want the Lord to answer our prayer or we simply have a problem. We want the Lord to deal with our problems. But this is all very well and good and it's right that we should bring our request to God. Come into his presence and bring your prayers to him. This is absolutely vital that we all do this. But how wonderful that David's first desire and reason for wanting to dwell in the house of God is simply to behold the beauty of the Lord. To behold the pleasantness of the Lord or the delightfulness of the Lord. What a wonderful thing this is. David doesn't firstly want to ask God for anything. He wants to firstly simply see him and behold him. Not just to have a quick look, but behold the beauty of the Lord. To come into the house of God to see the loveliness of his God and the beauty of him. Friends, is that our hearts? This is the way we're changed. This is the way we're transformed. It also goes on to say in Psalm 63, another similar thing. Psalm 63. And we read this. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. The desire of the psalmist, again a psalm of David, is to come into the presence of God, to see the Lord's power and his glory. How different things would be if we firstly beheld the Lord. We need to realise, dear friends, that so much begins with us seeing him, with beholding who he is. This is one of the ways in which the Lord enables us to get through difficulties, by firstly seeing him. Often we feel that we, when we have problems, the first thing we need is for the Lord to answer our particular problem. But that's not really the case. The first thing we need is to see the Lord. And you know, I remember a number of years ago, I was praying into a particular situation in my own life. I was struggling with a particular situation that was vexing my mind and troubling me. And I went to the Lord about it. And it, it wasn't that I received a vision, but it was an impression, as it were, in my spirit, that uh, I had of God the Father taking hold of me and bringing me to the Son and saying, Here is your answer. And I would say, but Lord, I've got a particular problem that I need you to deal with. And the Lord was saying, here is your answer. In other words, get your eyes upon my son and behold him. I wonder if the Lord would say that to anybody watching this particular, particular message. 
You're in a situation now that is difficult and you're going to the Lord. You've got questions, understandable questions. The Lord knows your questions. He's mindful of these things. But it's as though the Lord would firstly say, My son, my daughter, fix your eyes on me. Firstly behold who I am. And how we need to do that at times. Simply beholding who he is in the storm. And how that will quiet us. How that will prevent us from spilling over into anxiety. And perhaps acting rashly or foolishly. If we really know the Lord and see something of him. We will be able to even have a calm frame. Though our questions may not be answered yet. We can know the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. God in our hearts and minds, delivering us from fear, taking hold of us and, and pushing us into a wrong place. What a glorious thing for us to realise, dear friends, that we can behold the Lord in the storm and in the difficulty. The Lord wants us to be able to do that. I just think of how there's a particular church in the book of Revelation and um, the church at Smyrna, that we're going to go through various difficulties. But it's really interesting, when you look at how the Lord deals with the different churches, it's fascinating that the first thing He does is reveal something of who He is to them. He reveals something of His character of the, to them, something of His nature, something of His name. In other words, He gets the attention of the churches firstly upon who He is. He gets them to see something, as it were, of who he is. He wants them to behold something of his character. And when they see something of his nature, and when he's expounds something of who he is, rather, to them, then he begins to bring the prophetic word to them that they need to hear. But often the word that they need to hear is in relation to the revelation he firstly gives them of, his, of, him, of himself. So, brothers and sisters, this shows us the importance in all our situations that we need to learn to firstly see the Lord. In fact, this is the way the Lord deals with individuals in the, in the Old Testament as well. Think of Isaiah. The Lord was going to call Isaiah out to bring a difficult message to his people. But before he, he, he calls him into that particular ministry, as it were, and, and bringing that prophetic word, he firstly reveals to his servant the nature of himself in relation to his holiness. What a glorious thing it is. The Lord shows Isaiah something of himself before he brings him into the work. The same thing happens to Ezekiel. The Lord shows Ezekiel something of himself. Right from the beginning of the book, there's a revelation of something of the Lord of heaven. There are visions of God that Ezekiel sees. He has an open heaven. And then after he sees something of the glory of the Lord. And is flat on his face as it were before God. The Lord raises him up to bring him to bring a difficult message. To the rebellious house of Israel. So much depends on us seeing the Lord friends. But not just seeing him but beholding him. And really everything flows out of that. What a need there is for us to behold the Lord. Not only in relation to the ministries that we may come into, the work that the Lord has for us. Not only in relation to a prophetic word that the Lord may give to us. 
but also in relation to our testimony to a lost world that the Lord that we serve is the living God. Now I think of a testimony that Richard Wormbrand gave um, a number of years ago. He was uh, interviewed and he shared a tremendous testimony of the time when he was in the prison cell. And um, when he was first in prison, he was put into solitary confinement. But then later they put uh, a number of the prisoners all in a bigger cell, about 200 prisoners all in a cell together. It was a pretty hopeless situation. It was awful for all the prisoners and very difficult for them. And there were all different types of prisoners there. It wasn't just that there was Christians in the prison. There were also those who had been in the army. There was professors of, of science in the prison as well. And there were also farmers, um, known as peasants, who were in the prison as well. And, and Richard Wormbrand mentions that there was one particular man, one particular farmer, who... Um, who was a born-again believer. And uh, although he knew the Word of God pretty well, he didn't know, he probably didn't know, hadn't read any other books. And um, his knowledge of other things were very limited, as it were. But here he was, a farmer. His real ambition was to see one of these professors of science from the academy that was in the prison with him converted and so he talked to a particular professor about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this professor didn't want anything to do with this man. He just, he would ask him difficult questions. And the farmer would say, well, I don't know the answer to that question. But I can tell you I walk with Jesus. And I talk with Jesus. And this professor says, how can you walk with Jesus? How can you talk with Jesus? He was on the earth 2,000 years ago. And, uh, and uh, how, can he be, how can you be talking with you now? And uh, if he, as you Christians say, he went up into heaven, that's millions and millions of years, light years away. Uh, how can you possibly have any uh, ability to talk with him? God, how does the Lord talk with you then? Well, the peasant answered and said, well, he does talk with me. I, I understand your reasoning and why you think as you do. But all I can tell you is my Lord does talk with me. And he does, um, and he does walk with me. Um, and, uh, and this particular professor said to him, well, how does, he, how does the Lord look then when he looks upon you? Does he look bored? Does he look full of indignation? Is he full of anger? Or does, does he smile at you? And the particular farmer said, yes, well, actually, how did you know? There are times when the Lord actually smiles at me. And this particular professor, to all the other people looking on, just rubbished what this farmer had said. And he said, how can he smile at you? How ridiculous. How, do you, how can you possibly say that the God you haven't seen, how can you possibly say he smiles at you? How ridiculous. And I said, okay then, you show us. Show us how he smiles at you. And then Richard Wormrad said, then I saw the most glorious thing I've ever seen in all my 80 years. He said, in that moment, 
That farmer was transfigured, and his face began to shine and be radiant, and, he's, and he began to smile. And Richard Wormbrand said, the smile on this man's face was yearning. It's like a yearning to it. It had such compassion, such love of, in this smile for the man who was ridiculing him. And he was radiant. A brightness came upon his face. And the people in the prison saw it. And listen, the professor bowed his head. And acknowledged, you have seen Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There was a reflecting of something of the glory of the Lord. What a testimony to a man that was bound with all his ideologies and thoughts. But in a moment, through something of the radiance and reflective glory of the Lord upon that man's face, all those particular ideologies and views from science were shattered and they came tumbling down. Glory be to God. What a God we have. Brothers and sisters, see what can happen if something of the beauty of the Lord is upon us, as the scriptures speak about in Psalm 90. Well, coming back to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just want to finish here with this consideration. Let's just read this verse for a final time. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. Are changed. That means transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The scriptures say in Romans chapter 12. How are we going to be transformed? How are we going to be changed? In beholding his beauty. Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let me finish with this word, dear brothers and sisters. What are you beholding? What has got your attention? We're living in days where things are changing all about us. We're living in days where there is shaking going on. And there is much fear all about us. If we are going to be those that stand in these last days, we need to learn to firstly get our eyes on the Lord Jesus. You know, being able to stand in the last days isn't by being able to keep up to date with every newsreel on what's happening around the world. Sometimes we can be deceived into thinking if we're up to date with all the news, we're going to be ready for the last days. That's not the case. 
And there's a danger, I think, in us just getting too focused. Too focused, if we're not careful. On every little detail of this happening and that happening around the world. I believe in keeping up to date with the news. I believe we need to be those that are aware of what's going on. And we need to be those that are watching. What's happening round about us for sure. Sober minded. Aware. But do not allow that to crowd out your time with the Lord. Make sure that primarily your eyes are on him. The book of Revelation is a book of prophecy, but it's essentially about the person of the Lord Jesus and the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We need to make sure we keep our eyes on him and allow him to change us because we need to be made ready for his return. And it's by his spirit working in us and his spirit being upon us and, it's, and, and changing us into the likeness of the Son of God that will be the means of us being made ready. May the Lord grant each one of us to spend time beholding his face. We have been given unveiled faces, open faces. We can look to the Lord and see something of his beauty and glory today. May the Lord apply this word to our hearts by his spirit as he will. And may our times with him be enriched as we meditate on what the scriptures speak of who he is. And as we pray, seek his face. And as we worship him. The Lord bless you and encourage your heart to be one who is a beholder, as it were, of the Lord. One who beholds, it's a better way of putting it, the beauty of the Lord. God bless you and encourage your heart today. Praise God. We have eyes that have been open to see something of him. May he be our meditation all the day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's finish with a word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, we ask that you'd apply this word to our hearts as you will. And that we would be changed. And that we would be different. And that you would grant by your spirit that we would know what it is to walk with you in the days ahead. Get our eyes upon you, Lord. May you be our focus. May our eyes truly be beholding something of your beauty. Not, Lord, through an image we conjure up in our mind, God forbid. But through the revelation of your word by your spirit. And by us dwelling in your presence, hearing your voice, Lord. Help us, we pray, in these days. Grant us a seeing of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching and God bless you.